0: Today, I'm going to keep going in the That'll Leave a Mark series. We uh, talked a couple of weeks ago about how, how Jesus instructed us not to do our righteousness before men, that we, that we could get applause and all that stuff. I want to talk to you today about habits and about how just doing a few things over and over and over and over and over again, end up leaving a mark, end up leaving a legacy. I was with some people last night. Uh, I've been blessed to be around some remarkable people in my life. I was with some people last night, a guy specifically who'd been a missionary in Ecuador for over 30 years. And I was asking him about longevity and how to, you know, do, you, do you plan to be there that long? How to, and um, he told me that they have 12 churches now in Ecuador. They have a hospital, a radio station. Their ministry sponsors 2,500 Compassion International kids. And and he said, no, I didn't didn't go in at the beginning thinking we were going to do all that stuff, but just being faithful for a long time, doing little things for a long time. He said, you know, we found out here in Ecuador, if we start a new church, it takes seven years for it to take off seven years now I don't know about you but if you have stood at the uh, on your wedding day and the, and the pastor whoever's standing in front of you and said uh, hey I just need to warn you that before this thing's not going to be very good for for the first seven years it's going to take a while you, you might have rolled out right then so God is not necessarily calling us to do these unbelievable big things but he's calling us to do these little things, these habits, over and over and over and over and over and over again. And then before you know it, you wake up and you're at the end of your life, and there's, some, there's a mark you left. I was thinking about it this way. I have um, hope nobody's offended. I have a knife. Whoa. It's a little pocket knife I got in Spain. I actually met the guy that, uh, that made it. And I was thinking about, I was thinking about this just this little pocket knife, and if I were to stand here by the way, we've had this podium for, I don't know, 30 years. We just spray. I like it. It's old. I don't need a fancy podium. But if I took this knife on this old wood podium and I just did one of these things, first of all, we get on your nerves for a while and you would think, what are you doing that for? Well, I'm just going to try to leave a mark. You say, well, you're not hitting it hard enough. Maybe. But if I did this for the next 30 years and you came back, There'd be a mark on this that was undeniable. Not from being flashy, not from doing something crazy, but just from doing the same thing over and over and over again. And you know what the Bible is full of? Encouraging us to do the same thing over and over in every circumstance, in every situation. Hey, here's how you respond. Here's how you do it. Over and over and over. You don't have to be flashy. You don't have to be loud. Just over and over. Create habits that glorify God over and over. And then one day you wake up. You're a grandmother. You're a grandpa. And you're looking back. And your kids are saying, and your grandkids are saying, man, they were just faithful. How'd How'd that happen? We just did the... Just a little tap every day. Just a little... And before you know it, it made a mark, made a mark on your life, made a mark on other people's lives. So we're gonna talk about that this morning. We're gonna read from Hebrews chapter 10. We're gonna read verse 19 through 25. We're gonna try to replace some habits with some other habits. So Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19. Why don't you stand in honor of the word? You can see it on the screen. Look it up on your phone, on the Bible app. You can go to the Hope Community Church app and do it that way as well. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Say amen if you're ready. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of our faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Father, we thank you today for your goodness to us, Lord. We pray that there'd be a couple things that we could start doing that leave a mark. Not big, not flamboyant, not boisterous, but God, just a couple things in our lives you'd help us change today. Help us take a bad habit and replace it with a good one. Thank you for this. And we pray that it would glorify you that we were together today. In Christ's name, everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated. I need to explain the book of Hebrews was written towards uh, Jewish people. And so there's some, there's some terminology and language that the writer of Hebrews is using that might not make sense to us today because we never sacrificed animals. You should not be sacrificing animals, by the way, as a disclaimer for now. It's not good. But in the Old Testament, when, the law was, when God gave the Israelites the law, the way to live, what the law ended up doing was revealing sin in their lives. The law does that to us today. If you look at the Ten Commandments, I guarantee you've broken a lot of them. Maybe not the murder thing, maybe not the adultery thing, but you've been envious, you've had other gods. I mean, you just have. I know you're evil. <clears throat> as evil as I am. So what the law does is it reveals sin. The, the speed limit reveals if you're sinning. The, the, the law of the land reveals these things. It doesn't do anything to fix it. It especially doesn't do anything to fix it after you've broken it. So what happened was in the Old Testament with the Israelites, there was this endless cycle of break the law and then an atonement for the thing you broke, but it didn't fix it forever. It didn't, it, you weren't made whole after that so what it what it did was it revealed to the israelites this endless cycle of just sin and sin and sin and sin it was just revealing to them all the time all the time and then the high priest would go into the what was called the holy of holies once a year and they would they would atone for the people's sins and the people would bring animal sacrifices to god and they would atone for people's sins And the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10 is saying that's what you were used to, but now that Jesus has come, there's a new way. And you hear this terminology about the the curtain and and Jesus' flesh. And so basically the writer of Hebrews is saying you were separated from God. Not everybody could go into the presence of God in the Old Testament. It was a select, the high priest, a select few from a select tribe uh, that that God handpicked. So not everybody, you wouldn't have access. I wouldn't have access. We we, we wouldn't have this freedom to be in God's presence like we, we do today. You're essentially going through someone else to get to God. Well, when Jesus came, he was the last someone else. He fulfilled every requirement. And so as that veil separated, as that curtain separated people from the holy of holies in the temple and in the, in the previous version of that, the tabernacle, when Jesus died, that gave us access. It, it literally at that time, the Bible says, when Jesus died, breathed his last breath, the temple or the veil in the temple split, giving you and me common, ordinary, sinful, hateful people that I cover everybody? Access into the presence of God through Jesus. That's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. So when he says that, then he says, in light of that, then this is the way we should live. I like lists in the Bible because they make it easy. Don't do this, do this. So what you find at the end around chapter tw- or verse 25 of chapter 10, you find him saying, there's a habit there that some people are used to doing, not coming together. You're separating yourselves from each other. There's a habit there. Don't do that. But how many of, let me, let me back up a second. How many, how many of you have good habits? Just raise your hand if you have a couple good habits and you're like, yeah, I do that all the time. It's a good habit. Okay. All right, yeah. How many of you have bad habits? Because can we get a hand? Okay, a vastly, vastly larger number of bad habits than good ones, Okay. Psychologists have figured out that it is more useful or, or should I say, the potential for success is higher replacing a habit than just trying to stop one. So what we as humans inadvertently do is we have a bad habit, we go, I can't do that, I can't do that, I can't do that. All the while you're bringing attention to the habit that you're trying to quit. I don't want to smoke, I don't want to smoke, I don't want to smoke, I don't want to smoke. And then now, but before the end of the day, all you're thinking about is cigarettes. So instead of just thinking about not smoking, how about let, let's replace that with doing something else. Like eating donuts. I don't know which one is worse. you get where I'm going? So it's not just quit, it's do something else. Well, here's the, here's the amazing thing. Scripture knew that thousands of years ago. So there's rarely a part in the Bible where it says stop. That, it always says, stop that and do this. It's never just trying to get you to eliminate sin. It's getting to replace that bad habit with a good one. So the writer of Hebrews is telling us that. In the middle in verse 24, 25, he's saying, hey, listen, this is what people are habitually doing. Don't do that anymore. He doesn't just leave it there. He says, I've given you three things that you should be thinking about. Instead of doing that, do this. So parents of young kids... I think in early childhood education, they call it redirecting. So stop yelling at them, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And redirect them to something more beneficial. Like homework. Yeah. If homework were a video game, everybody would be a genius. So the writer of Hebrews is trying to get us to not do one thing and do some other things. Your brain, God, if, if we only knew how miraculous our brains are, I, I, think, I think there may be a moment when we get to the other side where we start to realize the depth of int, 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 intricacy that God put into our bodies. I think most of us walk around wholly unaware of what we're capable of. God has wired us in a way that is different than anything else on the planet. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, but he wired your brain specifically to be able to do things that is fascinating, like create shortcuts and habits. And we do it better than any, any other being, any other animal on the planet. You can, you can wire your brain and then, and then consciously rewire your brain. Like you can make decisions today that will begin to actually physically rewire, create new synapses, all kind of new pathways in your brain. You can actually consciously do that. It's an amazing capability. I think back to the first time you drove a car. 15, 16 years old, maybe some of you were 12. Back Creek Valley, the age limit was a lot lower. Remember that first time you drove a car was 10 and 2, your dad was sitting beside you, you know, whoever sitting beside you, and you were scared to death to make a mistake? I think I've told this story before. I remember taking my driver's test back when the state police used to ride with you. Yeah, all you people now got it easy. The guy that rode with me had a gun. So I remember taking my parents' car and, and we had the state police barracks there on Edward Miller Boulevard. And we, we drove, um, he would, they, would, they could do this little loop and you'd come down Warm Springs Avenue. Well, when you get down to Warm Springs Avenue, um, you had to take a left to go back to, um, to the police barracks. Wasn't this known as a warm, fuzzy DMV things. If you screwed up on this, the jail was right there. <laughs> so I remember pulling to the, pulling up to the stop sign there or a stoplight, and he said, uh, "Very. I mean, had the smoky bear hat on the whole thing." And he said, um, "Take a left here. Go back to the barracks." I put my right turn signal on and took a right. Totally legal, but the wrong way. I remember him looking over at me and going, "That looked like a left to you, son." <laughs> I said, "No, sir, it didn't." <laughs> So we went all the way up route nine over the bridge at 81 and he made me do a U-turn, which I'm not even sure that was legal, but he was with me. Made me do a U-turn and come back to the police barracks. And we got out of the car. My, my parent, my, I think my dad was standing there waiting on me. He goes, he did all right, except he can't follow directions. <laughs> I remember just white knuckling it. And then like six months later, your one hand rocked back, eating dinner, Changing your clothes on the way to work. We'd have cell phones in, so I wouldn't text anybody. But today you're texting. Come on, you're texting. Watching the latest TikTok video. Why is that? Your brain was able to make a shortcut to driving. That's why you could drive here in the morning and not remember how you got here. There's some other chemical reasons for some of us, but... The, your brain is remarkable in making these shortcuts. Sometimes it happens unknowingly, but this portion of scripture is asking us to do it on purpose. There's a habit that some people have gotten into. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't replace that habit with some other good things I'm I'm talking to you about. There was a, um, there's a study we're going to look at found this article in Psychology Today. We're gonna do something a little different. If any of you are familiar with QR codes, they're gonna put a, because sometimes I, I'll, I'll read from uh, an article or something and and I just thought it'd be neat for you. If you wanna get your phone out right now, um, get your phone out, get, get your phone out. It's I'm fine with it, get your phone out. And, and put the camera on if you gotta, I, I'm not sure how to Android. The poor people that are using Androids, wow. Wow. Um, <laughs> Uh, if you've got an Apple phone, I think Android works the same way. Just take a, just open your camera and point it to the QR code, and there should be a little thing pops up, and then you hit that, and it'll take you right to the article. You can read it along, have it for the future, however you want to look at it. You can do that online, too. It should be popping up online. So here's how it goes. This article is written in 2019 by uh, Ph.D. Susan uh, Weinschenk. If you ever took a psychology course, you probably have heard the name Ivan Pavlov. Pavlov won a Nobel Prize in 1904 for his work in medicine. He researched the digestive system working primarily with dogs. But while he was doing research on digestion, he discovered something that surprised him. Pavlov was measuring the amount of saliva that dogs produce as a part of digestion. He noticed first that dogs would salivate when they saw food, even before they tasted it. Then he noticed that if another event, such as a bell or the footsteps of the experimenter was paired with the food, the dog would eventually start salivating at just the sound of the bell or the sound of footsteps. This is called classical conditioning. And I think you can read a little bit more about it if you want to in the article. So essentially what would happen is this, they were studying the saliva output of dogs, which I had no idea that was a thing, but somebody needed to find it out. Saliva output of dogs. So they put a bowl of food down, the dog would start to salivate even before it started eating the food. Well, then what they did is they started introducing other elements into the process, like like the clacking of shoes walking down the hallway before they set the bowl down. They started measuring the saliva in the dog before the bowl, before they even saw the food. And they realized that when they heard the clacking of the shoes walking down the hallway, the dog would start to salivate anticipating the food coming. Then they started ringing a bell And what they started realizing was they could measure an increase in saliva in a dog ringing a bell and never giving them food. How's that happen? Because even a dog's brain will make shortcuts to things in their mind. Okay, I've heard a bell multiple times with a bowl of food, so now I can associate the bell with the food. And so what happens the first time, no response, but the fourth, fifth, sixth time, you don't even have to put the food out, just ring the bell and and your brain's made a shortcut right to the food. The Writer of Hebrews is saying, there's some habits that we don't wanna do anymore. Here's some other things that we wanna replace those habits with. And he starts in verse 22. He says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. He's saying the Christ follower is not to shy away from God, but to draw near, seek out, pursue, make time for. James 4 verse eight says, draw near to God and then he will reciprocate it. He will draw near back to you. The writer of Hebrews is encouraging us to create a habit of drawing near to God, a habit of drawing. So let's see how this fleshes out in real life. Paul wrote to Philippians chapter four, verses four through seven. And I actually love this couple of my favorite verses in the Bible. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everybody. Boy, could we ever use some reasonableness today. The Lord is at hand. All right. Verse six, do not be anxious about anything. So what's the directive there? Don't be anxious about what? Anything. So he's actually, Paul is actually saying, don't ever be anxious Wow, that's a bold statement, isn't it? Don't ever be anxious. But, okay, so he, he, remember, we're replacing things. We're not just telling you not to do something. We're taking an anxious habit and replacing it with something else. So Paul is not saying just don't be anxious. He's not just looking at you like, stop. Are you anxious? Stop being anxious. No, he's saying, if you're anxious, do this. Do this. Everything, but in everything, every circumstance, every problem, everything in life, by prayer and supplication. What are those things? Those are ways we go before God. We draw near to God by prayer. So he says, don't do that. Draw near to God. Pray with thanksgiving and let your requests be made known to God. Okay, then verse 7 is the result of us drawing near to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds of Christ Jesus. So instead of anxiety, which, life creates anxious opportunities. Can we agree with that? Now, do you, do you see what is missing in this equation? There is, nothing, there is not one mention of God removing the catalyst for anxiousness. Paul did not say he would ever remove the problem. Ooh, you may have to live with him. You may end up with the problem. You say, yeah, but I, I came to God and, and he was supposed to remove my problems. That's actually not in there. That's actually not in the equation. He says the, 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 the opportunity to be anxious will still exist. Because if the opportunity to be anxious was removed, why would I request anything from God? Why would I ever go before him and say, God, I need you to do this if there wasn't an opportunity to be anxious if he didn't do it? So what happens is, Paul is not saying, he's just going to remove all anxious opportunities from your life, and your life's going to be perfect. From here on out, you come to Jesus, no more problems. Well, if you've been serving God any length of time, you know that's not true. Sometimes you serve Jesus and get more problems. Well, there'll be half as many people here next week. <laughs> Whoa, I thought this was a fix some things. It is. If you change one little habit, you will have less anxiety. One little habit, less anxiety. And for $29.99 monthly fee, I will tell you what that is, but I'll just give it to you a little bit at a time over the last next four years. Now it's little, it's super easy. Watch this. Here's what, can I describe for you what, ang- what problems will do in some of our lives? We come to Jesus, we think, and it's an, a remarkable experience to feel free and forgiven and all those things, and then the problem comes in. Or maybe you're not even, maybe, maybe you haven't, maybe you haven't even chosen to follow, follow Christ today, and it's a problem, 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 problem. And the habit that you've gotten into is the evidence of the problem means that God isn't who he says he is. So the response to the problem in your life, the habit that you're currently in, is to pull away. God, you let that happen. And because you let that happen, that means you're not real. And if you were real, if you were real in my life, you'd never let anything happen like that. Can you tell how anxious I am right now? I can't believe you do something. I I don't even believe he exists now. And we just start to draw away, draw away, draw away, which in turn creates more anxiety because you were never designed to handle all the problems by yourself. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, let's replace that. Don't distance yourself from God. Hey, can I go back to the old Testament? Uh, the way, the way they used to think about God in the old Testament with the high priest, so the high, did you know the high priest wouldn't stay in the Holy of Holy area very long? Because if they stayed in there too long, people would get freaked out on the outside. Because way back in the Old Testament, there was a couple guys that went in there and did some things they shouldn't do and they died. Yeah. And so everybody's sitting outside like, where'd they go? They're not coming out. So the tradition or the habit got into place where you didn't spend a lot of time in the presence of God for fear something bad might happen and it would freak the whole people out. So the priest would go in, do what they had to do real quick and then come out. Well, well, the writer of Hebrews is saying that is no longer. Because of Jesus, you can be confident in your access to God. You can be comfortable in his presence because he's forgiven you of your sins. Amen. So it's not walking to his presence with fear and guilt that he's going to kill you. It's walking to his presence with confidence and hope that he's already forgiven you and that you can be in his presence for as long as you want to be. Amen? Matter of fact, the New Testament encourages pray without ceasing. It's this constant state of living in the presence of God, which is so foreign to the Old Testament. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, it's a different time. Jesus has made a way that did not exist before him. So in light of that, don't distance yourself from God. Change that habit you've gotten into and draw near to God. So I'm going to make your life 50% better right now. The problem is going to be there tomorrow. I got no solution for that is coming. As sure as the blessing of God in your life is, I'm as sure there'll be another problem. It's life. This world is full of sin. We end up being impacted by it. If we didn't cause it, somebody else will. It's a fact of life. There will be problems in our lives. The part that can make your life 50% better immediately is trading that one little habit of distancing ourselves from God. And when the problem arises, drawing near. Present your request to God with thanksgiving and the peace that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. Lord, I don't know why this is happening. I don't know how this is happening. I don't know. This is stressful. And I, and I, and I can feel the old Chris starting to well up. And listen, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna snuggle up to you for a little bit. I'm not going to do the old Chris where I back away and start blaming. I'm not going to do the old Chris where I back away and say, I'm going to just figure this out. I'm going to lean in, and I'm going to present those requests to you, and then I'm going to let you handle it because you are faithful. And watch the anxiety level just start to reduce. What did we do? It's like the experiment. We changed one thing. We changed one thing. We took a, a bad habit and replaced it with a good habit and got a totally different outcome. There is nowhere in Scripture that says, Draw near to God and your anxiety will be the same. Draw near to God and you'll be a little less anxious. Draw near to God and you'll have peace and hope. That's what the Bible tells us. Replace one little thing. What's the next thing he says, chapter, verse 23. Let us, hold fast to the, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Hebrews 6, 19, just a couple chapters before that, he says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that the inner place behind the curtain, remember that curtain imagery again. Hope is the Christian's motivator that the God, we just sang about it. The evidence of your goodness is all over my life. So what's that caused me to do? That caused me to get, have a hope for the future. We don't, we don't live in, in, in just this, like, well, it'll happen, whatever, I'm not so sure. No, this message of the Christian faith is that we have something to hope for no matter what, what today looks like. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. If it weren't so, I would have told you there is no bait and switch in the message of God. The, the heaven doesn't get worse with the economic collapse. He says, you have an eternal hope to look forward to. You have a hope to look forward to that I keep every promise. You have hope today because he is keeping the promises. It's the anchor of our soul. It's the... It's what causes us to wake up in the morning. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. Every promise God makes comes to pass because Jesus died on the cross for us and resurrected. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. If he promised it, if God promised it to you, Christ made it possible. The power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. So every promise God makes over our lives is yes. Well, that should excite you. And you say, what's that got to do with habits? Okay, so watch this. How many of you have ever been disappointed by somebody? Don't look around. Somebody made you a promise. It'd be easy to blow it off and say, well, life is full of disappointments. And most of the time it's people that disappoint us. I've had a few pets disappoint me. The problem is we can get into a habit of transferring that disappointment in people to God. Well, I'm not gonna trust anything, all hope is lost. Do you know how bad they burned me? Do you know how that business deal? Do you know how that, that, that boss promised me this? Do you know how my, my, my husband promised me that and he'd never do this. And my wife promised me, my, my this promised me, my parents promised me, and the promise broken, promise broken, promise broken. And what we can do is we start disengaged because well I can't trust anybody, there's no hope. You just fatalistic. you just, well, it is what it is, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna extend uh, trust and hope to anything. I'm just, I'm just not living that way anymore. I've been you know how many times I've been betrayed in my life. And that becomes the mantra. Come on, you've heard people say it. it. becomes a mantra of people's lives. If you trade one little mindset for another one, one little one. My hope doesn't come from people keeping promises. My hope comes because God keeps his promises. And so, so I, can, I can disengage my hope from whether... Whether anybody here is going to keep a promise or any business is going to keep a promise or any, or, any, or, or any place I buy something from is keep a promise. No, you know what? That's not where my hope lies. My hope does not lie in everything going well. My hope does not lie in everybody keeping their word. My hope does not lie in that. My hope lies in the one who can't break his promise. I could trade one little mentality. But try, well, I can't believe in anybody, too. I can believe in the one who can't break a promise. So that changes the expectations of my life. I understand that people may break promises, but the reason I can move forward and have joy in my life and peace in my life is because there is one who never does. One little habit. One little habit. I'm not going to put all my faith in people and get disappointed. I'm not going to put my future hope, my future joy, my future happiness in people. Well, some of you live long enough, you know the best intentions can get broken. The writer of Hebrews says, man, he never breaks a promise. Paul wrote to Corinthians a second letter and he said, every promise he made is yes to you. He'll keep every single one of you are not going to get to heaven and go, that seemed better. I mean, they could have gotten somebody else to decorate this place. Now, if the Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for us. It means every single human being to ever live the planet, ever will live the plant, on the planet. When, they, when we get to heaven, your mind is going to be blown. That's the promise. It's worth it. The hope that lies before us is worth trusting him for and not getting all down in the dumps because 10 people broke their promises you over the last 20 years. No, that's not where my hope comes from. I'm changing the habit of, of trying to find hope in every little situation. And my hope comes from him. Lift your head where your help comes from. It's him. He fulfills it every time. It's trading a habit. Here's the last thing. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir one, stir up one another to love and good works. Okay, we're supposed to be encouraging one another in love and to do good things. And then verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as, as is the habit of some. So we're creating another habit here. We're going to stir each other up to love and good works. Galatians chapter six, verse nine and 10. Let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season you will reap if we do not give up, verse 10. So then as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Who who is included in that? That seems like a really inclusive group of people, everyone. I wish she would have separated it up a little bit. People with the same political view as me is super easy to do good to, but there's other ones. People that think the same way be about vaccinations as me. oh You're like, we're not coming here. He brought up vaccinations again. In a world, in a culture in the United States that is so polarized, Galatians 9, Paul tells us, let us do good to Bible reading plan made me read that. If I didn't read it, I wouldn't be responsible for it. Everyone, what do you mean everyone? I say, how do you make this happen? So l- let, me, let me kind of explain to you again how the brain works with people and this will make sense with the dog thing. <laughs> Anybody had any body um, in the last 10 years? Okay, I did this first service, we'll do it again. Do it online too, Berkeley Springs, I want you to do this. Everybody close your eyes. Um, it's fine. I'm not gonna do anything weird. Close your eyes. I want you to think about somebody who has done something bad to you in the last 10 years, but they've done it like three or four times. You know, think about it. Get their picture, get their face in your mind. Uh, Okay, we'll wait a little while, let this take effect. So you got this person's face right in front of you. And... um, I thought about passing out stress balls right now. You just start squeezing them. All right, open your eyes. Okay, anybody in the room start to get that little knot in your chest? Like, yeah, they did do that to me. It's a good thing they're not here today. You know what you find out? There's a book I read called Dealing with Stubborn Sin. Your your brain does the thing that the dog study did. So here's what happens. You have a person and you have something that, and you have your response to that person. Person, response to that person. Person, response to that person. Okay. In the middle, they do something negative to you. Yeah. They do something negative to you. And it elicits that response. And then maybe they do it again. Elicits the same response. Do it again. Elicits the same response. And then all of a sudden, watch this. Remember how they could get the dog to salivate without even putting the food out? Have you ever found yourself being angry when the people walk in the room but they haven't yet done anything to you? Don't look around, don't look around. You go into the family reunion, you're like, well, if they're there, you haven't seen them in 10 years. You haven't been around for them to do anything to you but because 15 years ago, or how about the person at work? That's probably where it gets most of us, except that we're going to church. It's not allowed. Um, that's probably where it gets most of us. You're sitting beside the person, and they've just done something to you a couple times. You're just like, man, they irritate me. They could come in with your favorite chocolate and a $10 coffee, and you'd be like, thanks. <laughs> well, all they were was nice to you that morning. Yeah, but that doesn't make up for last week. I don't know, $10 coffee, that's a big deal. But what we've done is we made a shortcut in our brain to anger. It's the whistle without the food. It's the bell without the food. Are you hearing me? It's the bell without the food. We started becoming angry just because they're there. We started becoming irritated just because somebody mentioned their name. We started because, because our brain made a shortcut to anger. Yes, they did it. Now, what the writer of Hebrews is saying, are you going to let that be the habit from now on? Because here's what I found out. Most of the people that have wronged me, and I'm still upset about that, they might not even know they did it. I'm not talking about crazy stuff. I'm talking about the stuff we just get mad about on a daily basis. I'm the only one being tortured by it. They walk in, they're like, well, I didn't know. I didn't know I did anything. You mean you forgot last week how you didn't include me when everybody else went to lunch? Brain makes a shortcut just like that, just like that. So you start giving them the cold shoulder when they come in and you start not talking to them. And when they sit across the desk from them, you, know, raise your monitor so you can't see them. Oh. We haven't even gotten into marriage yet. (laughs) Just make that shortcut, make that shortcut, make that shortcut. And you wake up one day and you haven't talked to each other really for six weeks. Why? Because you did that to me six weeks ago and I've forgotten. And every time I see your face in the morning, it just brings it back. I've been married a while. (laughs) And I make shortcuts really fast. What is he saying? Let's encourage each other to love each other. And then we get to Corinthians and he says, do good to everyone. You replace one little habit with love and it changes your whole day. One little habit. So what do we, when we, when we paint the whole picture, we go, okay, Three things. I'm, I'm not going to distance myself from God, but I'm going to draw near. I'm not going to bring my, I'm not going to have my hope depend on people. My hope's going to depend on God. I'm not going to hold grudges and, and just let anger be my, be my habit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love on people. And not only that, I'm going to encourage other people to love on people. So all of a sudden, all of a sudden the church, by three little habits, the church doesn't look like anyone you've ever seen before. Because all of a sudden we're not anxious. All of a sudden we have an eternal hope that we actually believe in. And all of a sudden we love everybody. Do you see how, do you see how this works? Nothing big. I'm just gonna be nice to you when you walk in the office tomorrow. And I'm not gonna be hateful because of what you did last week. I'm gonna physically break that connection in my mind. And I'm going to choose to pick the gospel this morning. I'm going to choose to pick what Jesus said. I'm going to choose to pick what I've been instructed to do. I'm replacing that old mindset with another one. And it's not going to be spectacular. Nobody might not even notice. You're not going to get a promotion for it. Your kids aren't going to give you any accolades. But you're going to wake up every day and just, I'm choosing to do this one little thing. I'm choosing to do these two little things. And before you know it, you know what? 30 years at the same place. And they say, they're the kindest people we've ever met. How'd that happen? I just chose one little thing every day. One little thing every day. And I ended up leaving a mark. Ended up leaving a mark for my family because I chose to be nice, chose to love, chose to do good works for people. I chose to have hope. I chose every day to replace that habit. you wake up one day Like Scott said last week, your grandkids are going, how did all that happen? I asked the guy last night after 30-some years in Ecuador, how did all that happen? And he went, I don't know. It's just a couple things I decided to do when I got there. I'm going to learn the language. It's not remarkable. And I'm going to learn the culture. He just kept tapping on it over and over and over and 30 years later there's some kid like me sitting in front of him going how did all that happen none spectacular just kept tapping changed a few habits kept tapping why don't you stand to your feet I going to leave you with this tons of studies have proven and I don't have any QR codes to prove this got, I, can, I can give you the resources later if you set too many goals in your life this coming year. Let's say you like I got, I want to change 10 things in my life this coming year. You won't change anything. The higher the amount of goals, the less probability that you will accomplish them. But if you cut that thing down to one or two or three, the likelihood of you accomplishing those things skyrockets. And so today, I'm not telling you to change everything about your life. I'm not telling you to go through this whole dramatic makeover. No, just a couple things. Just a couple things. And if it's over, pick one. Pick one. Just say, God, you know what? I'm going to start. Here's what's going to happen. I'm Whenever the problem rises, I'm going to start drawing near to you. That's it. I'm going to go to you first. I'm going to stay close to you. Uh, this is the way I'm going to respond to these things. Just pick one. And you will... The beauty of it is, is that that same shortcut that's possible for all the bad things becomes possible for all the good things. And when you do that for six months or so, your shortcut will be, here's the problem, draw near to God. I don't even have to think about it. I don't even have to think about it. So now I can take that same mental energy and start thinking about how to treat people well and how to do other things. And so just start today going, God, you know what? Just I'm going to do one thing. I'm going to start trading this habit for this one. And I'm going to just keep tapping away at it, tapping away at it, tapping away at it. Because what you do consistently is the mark that you end up leaving. What you do for over a long period of time, the little things that you do over a long period of time, are the marks that you end up leaving for eternity. And we want to get them right. Amen?